0: This is an irreverent podcast. Check out irreverent.fm for shows from all our friends. This episode is brought to you by Shopify.
1: Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash offer. all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash
0: offer. Hello and welcome to Exvangelical. I'm your host, Blake Chastain. This is a lo-fi episode this week. Um, This is actually the second part of my interview with Delisa Perry that I released a few weeks ago. Um, Delisa and I spoke a little while ago, and unfortunately we ran into a number of technical issues. And I really just felt like her story hadn't been fully told. So thankfully, she was able uh, and willing to come back on the show and talk to me a little bit more about her experiences and uh, in, in college and in grad school and elsewhere. And I'm really happy to be able to share this little bit um, left with you. It's a little bit shorter than some of the other episodes that I usually post, but um, it is essentially this continuation of the story that we began uh, in part one of Deleuze's story. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, standard plugs here at the top. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at BRChastain. You can follow the show on Twitter at, at ExvangelicalPod. You can also join the Facebook group by searching for Exvangelical on Facebook you'll just have to answer a few quick questions and uh, then we'll be able to get you into the community there um, otherwise you can also support the show three different ways you can tell others about the show if you know of anyone that might be able to relate to the sorts of things we talk about on Evangelical, please do so please also in that same vein uh, rate and review the show if you enjoy it over on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Um, that really helps people discover the show, and it's just a, a really positive and easy way to help more people find the show. And finally, you can support the show via Patreon over at patreon.com slash All right, let's get into it. Hi everybody, welcome back to Exvangelical. I have uh, with me again, um, very graciously, uh, Delisa Perry uh, has come back to talk a little bit more about her story, and uh, when I was editing the show then, it really seemed like uh, I had really just started to really get to her, uh, her story, and then also we did have some technical problems, so I felt like I really wanted to have you back, Delisa, and talk to you some more, so thanks for coming back on the show.
1: No problem. Thanks for having me again.
0: Of course. Um, When things were where the last episode really left off was we were talking a bit about your um, experience with this very hostile couple that you had been placed with. um, And then your sorts of experiences and and how you were trying to process that. So I thought we, we could go ahead and start there and then move forward in your story a little bit from there as well.
1: Yeah, so, um, that was around my birthday, uh, October of 2013, um, and I came back home and I really missed school, which I'm kind of feeling that right now, too, but, um, I really missed just being in the classroom and studying philosophy, but, again, I had, um, just heard of, just been told a bunch of lies concerning, um, philosophy and being a christian and i shouldn't you know be studying philosophy because i'm a christian blah 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 um but for some reason i don't know why i just kind of put that to the side and started looking for schools where i could study philosophy from like a christian perspective Mm -hmm. and google basically led me to uh biola and i never heard of biola university um until then And I kind of got into like apologetics um, and, you know, being able to defend your faith and whatnot. And uh, I almost applied to their apologetics program, but I um, opted out of that and saw that they had a master's program in philosophy. Um, And I was blown away. Like I couldn't imagine studying philosophy from a Christian perspective, like everything I was told just like blew up and I was so excited and I applied it was the only school I applied to um, and I got in and that was a huge move for me to move from like Illinois to California Mm -hmm. um, by myself but I was excited and I was determined and so this was in like August of 2014 so it was right when Ferguson happened and Mike Brown was murdered And I I was aware of it, and I was talking to, like, uh, back then, a really good friend about it. But, again, I was just focused on school and whatnot. Um, But, yeah, I just came to California, and I was just wide-eyed, bushy-tailed, just excited. You know, I'm in school with a bunch of Christians, and this is going great and whatnot. But, yeah, it's been a lot of stuff happened since then.
0: Yeah, and so to give a little bit of a context there, you had gone to like a, a secular school, so to speak, and then you, but you had gotten into a really sort of aggressive youth group, right? In which that's where you were told, like, as a Christian, you shouldn't study philosophy. But lo and behold, you found a place where you could. Um, so, how long did that um, sort of feeling last for you that you were in like this? this place where everybody's Christian and every, you know, how, how long did that sort of last? Um, did that sort of veneer last or did it sort of, did you, yeah, let's just, (laughs) I'll just end the question there. How long did that sort of last before you, um, felt otherwise, I guess.
1: Um, I would say around 2016 as it got closer to the presidential election. Um, And I think I didn't notice until I heard it on campus where I was just sitting down having lunch and I heard these two women, uh, these two white women talking about Mike Brown. And one of them was just really distraught. Like she couldn't believe that her dad um, automatically assumed that she would side with the cop. And I just couldn't believe my ears. Like I couldn't believe that I was hearing what I was hearing. And that's when it like occurred to me like, wow, I've never heard anyone on this campus even speak about what was happening um uh in Ferguson um and I went over them and I thanked them and they they were really uh compassionate and gracious or whatnot but again that was like two random girls on campus that wasn't like someone who I knew in the program um so yeah it just it it really started to dawn on me like wow we really don't talk about real world events in class um, besides like harping on like gay people or atheists or liberals or whatever, um, you know, the usual targets. Um, But yeah, I would say around 2016. Yeah. Like around 2016. um, And I had gotten to Facebook and I started like adding people, from my school on there and just being very vocal politically on there. And that really shocked them. Like they, I guess they assumed like I was politically conservative and theologically conservative like them because I was at the school that they were at, but you know, I, I wasn't, and I was just voicing my opinion on Facebook or whatnot. And, um, yeah, I just noticed that they started to treat me differently.
0: Hmm. So what, I could you unpack that a little bit like how did did you feel it started to feel ostracized because of your beliefs
1: yeah um because of my beliefs and I just noticed like I just didn't feel comfortable hanging out with them considering that like wow all of this shit is going on out in the world and like in the specifically in the U.S. like by that time Ferguson happened um Baltimore had happened. Um, all these different, like um, state state-sanctioned violence against Black people had happened, and none of them like came to comfort me. No one came to say, "Hey, how are you doing?" With all of this happening, like it was just, it was like being in a totally different world. Um, but thankfully, I had come across a few uh, Black women on campus around that time, like around. I don't know, February of 2016, Um, and I ended up being an intern for, like, um, an organization for Black women on the campus since um, uh, the numbers were so low for us overall, and I was the only Black woman in the philosophy program, so that was, like, a godsend that I was Mm. able to, like, connect with other Black women. I mean, granted, they were undergrad, but it was still really good for me to be in that safe space with them, but that was only like a monthly meeting and here and there I'll see them on campus. So for the most part, I was spending time around, you know, peers in the graduate program and that wasn't fun.
0: So you found a bit of a, a a community that was undergrad oriented, but did was able to give you an outlet to, to at least be able to sort of either be yourself or, or find people that would understand your perspective in a place where you, as you mentioned, you were the only black woman in your program.
1: Yes. Okay. Yeah. So that was good. So when they advertised for the intern position, I immediately hopped on it. Like I wanted to be as involved as I could, but, um, yeah, it was just, it was just a really rough time. The closer I got to November of 2016 and just people's true colors came out and how they really felt about me being there, how I got there. Um, And it was, it was hard, but I was able to not let it um, distract me from just really seeking out community. And that's when I found, um, that was actually the year I found the church that I currently go to like around July of 2016. Um, And it was an, it's an affirming church. So that was also like a bright spot in an otherwise like pretty daunting (laughs) period of time. Mm
0: -hmm. So if I could, I'd I'd like to elaborate a little bit more just about how, um, how your sort of perspective was not only with your peers, but also with your professors and things like that, because um, I I know from experience, this was, you know, uh, a decade earlier um, and in a very different sort of situation, but in uh, Christian plate, Christian colleges, it can often be a place that sort of squashes dissent, right? You know, it's mm-hmm. something where, where if you provide an answer that doesn't seem to be like the one they want, then it's sort of looked down upon. Um, so what was what was you you mentioned a few things there as far as um, people started to vocalize to you how they felt about you being there. Um, mm-hmm. was that your was that both of your both your your student peers as well as your professors? What was I mean that I, Yeah.
1: Yeah, um, it wasn't necessarily the professors. It was the peers, um, my peers, um, uh, just like them seeing posts that I, I would make on Facebook and they would like try to call me out on it um, and just like, you know, oh, well, you're only here because uh, or you're black so you can get into any school you want to or um like, basically, the only reason I'm at Biola is because of my race. It had nothing to do with, like, my academic accomplishments or anything. Um, just really just nasty things like that. Yeah, that's um,
0: awful. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. And, I, I mean, those who said it, I immediately dropped them as so-called friends, and I don't talk to them at all anymore. Um, but, yeah, I mean, well, in the midst of all this, a few a very few of the guys um, wanted to, I guess, hear my side of, like, basically hear my perspective and why I felt the way that I felt politically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wouldn't say that we see, like, eye to eye and we agree on everything, but uh, it was good to at least have a few, like, literally three or four guys who were able and willing to have those conversations even though they may not have agreed they um they didn't completely shut me out or ignore me like the majority of my peers did which looking back I'm really glad that kind of happened that way because I didn't have to like put on a front I didn't have to pretend like you know I agreed with them or I didn't have to like you know tap dance for them or anything like that but nevertheless it was still hard considering like the type of program that I was in and how like community oriented philosophy is um that made it really hard but yeah
0: yeah that 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 all sounds very difficult and I'm sorry I know that a lot of times that just even even for anyone that's that's involved in you know Philosophical studies, like your opinions and everything, can change so often through the course of a program, whether it's a graduate program or what, or an undergraduate program or whatever. Mm-hmm. And to have all of these other social and racial stressors on top of all of that—that that is mm-hmm. just an undue burden. And I'm sorry. Um, what uh, as far as the the program itself and the courses that you, you were taking, what did you um, what did you study there as far as, uh, and what's, what, what interested you? I mean, this is, this is certainly a, a tumultuous time in the country and you're processing all of that. How did that, um, how did that affect your, your studies and, and what did you, what, what were you drawn to in your, throughout your program?
1: Um, epistemology really caught my attention, which is basically like the study of knowledge and how we come to know things. um, and for my, one of my epistemology courses, I was able to write a paper on um, basically uh, an answer to the challenge of religious pluralism from the perspective of Black women uh, or womanist theology. Um, and at first, the professor was on board, but um, I really tried to contextualize um, just uh, what i was trying to convey in the in my paper as far as like uh faith for these women that i was looking at it wasn't like pie in the sky um you know abstract thinking it was really concrete and it had like um very real uh had a very real impact on their lives and the lives of their communities and their families and their churches considering like the um the positions that they were in as Black women and as Christians, but it didn't really fly with him towards the end. I think I just kind of lost him. Um, But I was able to present that paper at a conference um, March of last year, which was really, um, it was really good and it was really encouraging to encounter other uh, Black women who understood where I was coming from. Um, so it, although it was hard being in the program during that time, I was able to write on something that I was passionate about. So mainly just like, um, I had to retake metaphysics, what I have to, but I chose to, um, and I retook it and I really enjoyed it. So like metaphysics, epistemology, philosophy of mind, um, things like that, that I really, I guess they, they provided, um, uh, not a hobby, but like, um, a way out of thinking about what was going on politically in the country at that time. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, granted, I didn't get to like talk to my peers about what was happening because, you know, they didn't care, but, um, I still was able to like use my, um, my time in school to like. I guess, distract me from what was going on politically.
0: Yeah. So you also mentioned that you, um, during that time as well, during this really, um, this time where there was a lot politically going on and then you had these other elements that are happening on your campus, that you off campus you found a community that you resonated with. Mm -hmm. Um, So... What, what was that community like? You mentioned that it was affirming and, and what did that provide you just personally?
1: Um, I heard things in the church, um, when I first started going and even up until this point that I never thought I would hear. Um, as far as like, um, people like openly doubting things about their faith and, their place in the world and um, it was just it was Um, mind-blowing having God be referred to uh, not just um, with male pronouns but female pronouns as well Um, or they they them pronouns and um, just seeing openly queer uh, couples and um, other queer folk in in church was it was it was what I needed but I didn't know how much I needed it until I got it and it was just so good and very just life-giving so I really got and I still am I really got involved um in any way that I could um with helping out with um whatever was needed of me um in church or with other people in the community so it was really um it, the timing was just perfect with, um, how I came about finding the church, um, what was happening politically what was happening, um, on campus. It was, it was a really good, uh, space for me to just be and be able to breathe and relax and to be myself.
0: Yeah, that's great. Just for you personally, why do you think it's so important for people to be able to hear those things? Like from a pulpit, those sorts of affirmational things. Um, mm-hmm. What what is it about a place, like a, a church in particular, that um, that makes that sort of a healing or or a safe space? Because some some people do they do elect to leave, and I think that's a valid option. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm curious for you what made what made that expression um, so so validating for you?
1: Uh, the fact that it, it I noticed that it wasn't uh, just mere opinion, like, oh, I believe God says X, Y, and Z, or I feel this way. It was people using what was and what still is being used as a weapon against marginalized groups as like a tool for liberation um, and to have it be done with authority and with grace and with care and compassion um for me that was that's what's so life-giving the fact that um it's people who genuinely love God and who genuinely love Jesus um but who uh they how can I put it they they know who they are they don't um they don't allow uh to put it they they know who they are in christ and they know who they are uh as far as race gender sexuality um and they're able to integrate all of that into their faith and into their life in a holistic way in a way that's not like well you know my faith says this horrible thing but you know nevertheless i'm still queer or i'm still unapologetically pro-black or um i'm still a feminist no they can like incorporate all that into their faith without having to like make all these weird reaches or whatever
0: yeah yeah that that totally makes sense and i i think that is the the me personally I, i think that's probably the most valuable use of religion in this day and age when it's some to your very to your very well-said point that it's something that is often used to dominate Mm -hmm. um but here in this church you found it as a a, as a way of liberation which Mm -hmm. is absolutely um i think the the most empowering thing and it should it empowers the people that should be empowered Mm
1: -hmm. yeah it also for me um it caused me to see that um that can be had outside of church as well. Um, Like it doesn't have to necessarily be like, this is the only way that you can find liberation and freedom, but this is a way that you can find it. Um, And not that like, uh, uh, I don't know how to put it, but um, like someone can be agnostic or an atheist or whatever, and they still can have, they're still a person to be respected and Mm -hmm. loved and cared for and validated and you don't need to be like evangelizing to them or anything like that like that's something I've noticed too with the church that I attend like there's not um there's not like a lot of conversation surrounding um evangelizing or how many people have you led to Christ like that was something that really bothered me um, when I first became a Christian, like, oh my gosh, I haven't led anyone to Christ or, you know, no one said the sinner's prayer. Like I haven't heard that at all at this church. So that's also <laughs> yeah.
0: something
1: that's really positive.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people are, uh, like a- allergic to that part of evangelical stuff is, yeah, just how much you're expected to turn someone into like an acquisition target. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like you're trying to sell them Jesus. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's definitely, um, very true that that it does really just make people into souls to save instead of whole people.
1: Mhm.
0: Yeah. So I'm curious like you you mentioned that your um your study was actually um one of the things you focused on a lot was this this paper about pluralism and religious pluralism, excuse me, it's a hard word for mm-hmm. me to say. <laughs> and um and how it related to um Womenist and and Black uh, theologians, so mm-hmm. um, could you talk a little bit about, about that in particular? Because it seems like that seems that the theme, the themes that you were um, studying, was also something that that you sort of practically experienced too through this church. I'm not sure if I'm artificially making a connection there, and you can certainly tell me if I'm if I am, <laughs> um, and that's totally fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, I, I'm, I am curious what your what your studies were about and how that, uh, um, and how, just just how that how that worked and re- relative to pluralism and as you said like treating a person whether they're agnostic or atheist or or, or some variation of Christian.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think I was a little too heavy handed in the paper as far as like christianity is the only religion that um provides the tools of liberation for uh specifically black women like now i wouldn't i wouldn't say that explicitly i think um other i'm pretty sure other religions can also provide that tool those tools of liberation or you know black women who are um non-religious or whatever um however they choose to go about uh finding freedom um but I still, I still hold to like there's something unique about how black women used uh, the word of God and the church communities um, to uh, seek out freedom uh, for themselves and their families in their communities in the here and now and not like some afterlife type deal or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's definitely something that, I, that I've experienced. Um, in the church that I'm attending, um, they don't—they haven't explicitly talked about uh, womanist theology, but um, that's definitely something that's popped up here and there for me personally um, during sermons or during um, worship or whatever. So I definitely see the connection. I don't think I've like really delved like that deep into it, but I'm right now I'm actually rereading um, John Hicks' um, paper that we had to read for class, which. Um, which I, I use as one of the main sources for my paper on religious pluralism. Um, so I might have a different opinion um, mm-hmm. once I look it over. And now that I've like gone through uh, graduate school and um, I guess like simultaneously like deconstructed my faith, but also grown into it and matured in it. So yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, so. This deconstruction part, what is that how is that sort of um, how has that come about for you? that's mm-hmm. that is a phrase that a lot of people use that you know that that is very it's very good as as a sort of anchor as like this we've both deconstructed. we 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 have that shared language of mm-hmm. you know we've come from a more conservative or fundamentalist place and ha- are have arrived at a different place. So mm-hmm. what what was that that process like for you? Because I mean, it sounds like you did it in an intensive period. You were in a graduate program, experiencing racial and social stressors, mm-hmm. um, and like that's a lot. All, all, even just one of those is crazy, <laughs> like mm-hmm. crazy <laughs> amounts of stress. So you mainlined a ton of things at the same time. How did that deconstruction, it, as just a, a whole other thing, that's intense. Um, mm-hmm. how did that play out for you or is it still going on? I mean, to, to me, I think that's, it, it may not be something that's been completed, um, or whether it's just an ongoing process.
1: Yeah. Um, I've noticed there's less guilt as far as like, oh, I have to spend quiet time with God or I have to journal or whatever. Like, I don't feel, um, that guilt anymore when I wake up, I feel like more free, less lighter. Um, and I don't know when I stopped doing that specifically, I think probably around 2016 and no one like told me to stop doing it. I just didn't want to do it anymore. And I stopped just feeling guilty about it. Um, right. Yeah. Um, and mainly that, and, um, just being in an affirming church really, um, uh confirmed a lot of um not necessarily feelings but uh truths that I already had since I became a Christian like okay well I just don't think that you know God wants to send me to this eternal you know fire and brimstone place where I'm gonna burn in hell just because I'm not you know straight or whatever um And just having that be, like, confirmed in so many different ways in in the church, in conversation with others, through living with others um, who don't believe that either. Um, So it was just that. It was um, just becoming more politically, uh, becoming more radical politically um, and theologically. And it wasn't like, oh, you know, I woke up one morning and decided I was going to, like, start reading about all of these radicals but it just happened um and I just came across a bunch of books that helped me um that is helping me along with um just picking apart different lies and uh confirming other things but um so just mainly books and conversations with others and um not feeling this pressure to read like the bible every day or to pray multiple times a day or whatnot um not having to like censor myself i guess in a way like that's also been helpful
0: yeah yeah it frees you from that sense of obligation or duty when you don't feel like it <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah
0: yeah that that's definitely a, a very sort of liberating thing like i mm-hmm. forced a forced quiet time or a devotional reading is like the
1: worst. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I mean, like it may work for some people, but like, I think it's something so, uh, it's so it's very damaging to like force an entire group of people to do the exact same thing. And you may not like, no one like literally came into my room and forced me to do it, but it was like hammered into my head. Um, right. Yeah. So, I mean, it may work for some people, but for me, it's just, that's just not how I'm wired. Right.
0: Yeah. I think you make a good point there as far as like, even, I think one of the things that's, that's so interesting about evangelicalism is that like you get all these social cues, even if there's not somebody like explicitly saying, okay, like this is your new Christian packet and you have Mm -hmm. to like, you have to read the Bible in a year, and you have to like get my utmost for his highest and read it every mm-hmm. like,
1: you know. <laughs> they actually got that for me for my birthday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and,
0: and you know, so uh, but but you know, the, all this stuff is like in the air, and because it's got this weight of like divine providence or something, it feels so consequential. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not like until you sort of see a different way of the way other people, um, very meaningfully live out their faith and their lives live, um, are lived in a totally different way Mm -hmm. that you see that, um, that a lot of that stuff, even if you just absorb it subconsciously, like there's a lot of trappings there and Mm -hmm. it's so, um, so crazy to see, to be on the other side of that, I think.
1: Mm Mm-hmm yeah it is it's um it is and like even i w- it was funny i was thinking about music the other day and just how like when i first became a christian i like trashed all the music that i loved because it wasn't like explicitly christian and now right. i'm like damn i missed out on some really now i'm like with my apple subscription i'm like downloading <laughs> all this music that i used to love and yeah i'm just like Damn, I, it's, there's just so much good art out there, and music, and movies, and right. books, and whatnot. And you know, it's not a sin to in, enjoy that stuff and to, um, you know, to participate in it or whatever.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. When you feel the obligation to have the Christian version of everything, yeah, mm-hmm. and that that can often be heightened on Christian campuses and things like that too. Hmm. Um. I, well, I remember it well back in like the church sort of environment, there was a book. Did you ever see the book "The Heart of the Artist"? It was sort no. of about being a Christian artist or performer or writer or any creative, you know. And I'm sure it could extend to something like philosophy or theology. And mm-hmm. it, but it just put it sort of put fences up, and said yeah. like you got to you, you know, you you have to stay within within these parameters. Um, if you go outside, then it's dangerous out there. Um mm-hmm. and then yeah I there was another one that I had just thought of but oh I there were some books probably some books by Mark Knoll or something like that about Christian scholarship um cuz you can't you know <laughs> it's the only way to be <laughs> a scholar and a Christian is to teach at a evangelical school so oh. <laughs> Yeah Yeah so I'm I'm curious you are you you just finished, you know, um uh graduate school recently Um, so you mentioned that you, you did feel like this, uh, this general pull to, uh, to start reading more broadly. Uh, I'm curious what you ended up reading. Um, I, and because I'm sure that you could give some, some great recommendations to our listeners, to me, to people that may not, um, may not know like the, the womanist or liberation theologies very well, um and i think it's the most relevant time for those voices to be heard by as broad of audiences as possible because it speaks so loudly to the situation we're in and it i mean it's fills that prophetic role that i think is necessary in our mm-hmm. current climate so um if you have any recommendations or anything like that i'm <laughs> i'm i would love to be able to pass those along uh, to people just, uh, just by you listing a couple, if that's something you'd like to do.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, so uh, like two summers ago in 2016, I like, I was on the hunt for like books just only by, by and about and or about black women. Um, so I would just go to all these used bookstores around, you know, LA or whatever, and just look for them. And, I never got a chance to read them because I was always reading um, philosophy uh, textbooks for school or whatnot. And so once I graduated, I immediately started Elaine Brown's autobiography, um, A Taste of Power. Uh, She was the only um, black woman who was the head of the Black Panther Party for a short while. Um, And then I've been reading um, Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting? together in the cafeteria um by Dr. Beverly Tatum and actually saw her spoke I think a week and a half ago in LA and it was really good um and it's just like uh she's a psychologist and it's just conversations about race and um identity and whatnot and um so the so far I've been reading that but it's been really it's taken me a long time to get through them like they're really good but I think the internet has just really messed up my attention span. So it's like, (laughs) okay, I need to just, maybe I'll just focus on some um, fiction. So now I'm reading, um, this is the third book by Zadie Smith that I'm reading called NW. Um, And I also found a Toni Morrison novel, Song of Solomon for like a dollar at a used bookstore. Um, So yeah, right now I'm just like on, on a fiction kick where you know, there's things about race and being a woman and whatnot, but it's not as heavy-handed as those other books that I mentioned.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Fiction is definitely the the go-to when you need a, a little lighter reading, <laughs> especially mm-hmm. when, when your regular affair is philosophy and and uh, social commentary.
1: <laughs> mhm.
0: Yeah. yeah. So what is um what is um, post-graduation look like for you? Have you, have you felt like getting out of some of those more difficult sorts of relationships and things like that? And, um, and how, just how, how are you feeling about, about things these days?
1: Um, I'm feeling good. I actually went to Claremont, uh, last week, sometime last week to hang out with, um, someone I met on Twitter um and he like showed me around campus or whatnot and we hung out with some of his friends and that was really um encouraging uh and it was a total contrast from like um attempting to hang out with guys in the philosophy program like they weren't they weren't like self-righteous about what they knew like they were super super intelligent but they weren't like self-righteous um they didn't like gaslight me or anything I mean granted they had just met me but it still felt more um authentic and, like, organic, the conversations, um, and they were really encouraging, um, uh, when I told them, like, what I wanted to eventually, like, you know, write my dissertation off for my PhD, um, so I've, I've been looking into going back to school probably this fall, um, at Claremont, and just to see how that goes, to get my MA, probably in, probably in religious studies, um, because they have some professors there that I really want to connect with, uh, and just finding work, honestly, that's it. Um, and reading, resting, taking care of myself, staying off Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> that so, is
0: taking Twitter breaks is a very good, <laughs> good. Yes. <call>. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I know I we, we touch base a little bit on, on, on Twitter and you, I told you last time we talked, I hadn't seen get out, um, which I finally did correct that mistake. Um, I also know, uh, I also know from following you on Twitter that you're, um, that you've watched the good place, right? As, yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, uh, so just for a little bit of a uh, ladder fair here, what what do you think of that show? And like being a philosophy student, how, how has that been? Cause it, it's front and center with GDN Anagonye. I mean, he's, he, he drives that show. It's great. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, uh, his character is what happens when you just like, like he, he's smart. He's, he's obviously really intelligent. He knows his, his shit, but like he, um, he doesn't know how to how to apply it well like he i think he just takes what he's learned just a little bit too literally um (laughs) uh and didn't take and doesn't take or yeah doesn't take into account um that you know life situations aren't as black and white as a lot of philosophers try to make it out to be Mm -hmm. um but it's a really good show and just examining how people can go from like good and bad and even like um, Kristen Bell's main character deconstructing like her entire life and what have I been doing with my life up until this point and what does it mean to be good and um, yeah I think now that I've gone through what I've gone through over the past three years I'm able to better enjoy the show so yeah
0: yeah yeah it's a and it's it's definitely a really really fun show to to be able to watch and well I mean I think a lot of you know a lot of christians that have come from this sorts of evangelical or fundamentalist backgrounds have a lot of things to process about their assumptions about the afterlife and i feel like yeah to see that show in this yeah period is is uh is pretty great
1: <laughs> yeah yeah most yeah. definitely and like yeah um i think it's not again like what um it's not what we expect it to be, the the afterlife. And I don't I don't think it's it needs to like for me personally it doesn't need to I don't need to dwell on it as much as I was taught how, you know, taught to dwell on it. Um and I think that show really brought that out as far as like um everything's not as it seems <laughs> even right. in the afterlife. So yeah. I think that was really, really, really genius of them and like play with that and to have them like go back and see what they did wrong in their lives and how that affected them in the afterlife or whatnot. So yes, yeah, a really good show. I didn't think I would like it, but right. I really loved it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I, I binged it a lot. And I think that that element you said of like, everything's not as it seems. It's mm-hmm. so, it's so twisty and you know, no no spoilers on here and everything, but it's so twisty and like, uh, um, but in like a very unannoying way, like, mm-hmm. like lost, lost could get kind of annoying with its, with its twists and everything back in the day. But, uh, but, um, yeah, the good places is, is really good for that. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's really good. Um, I actually binged it too. Cause I didn't, I didn't even hear about it when it first came out. I think someone told me about it like a month ago, mm-hmm. um, and I was like, "Oh, a show about the afterlife, and they talk about philosophy and whatnot." So, yeah, it's really good.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Oh,
0: sorry, I'm hearing some stuff in the background. I'm just gonna wait one second, just to. Oh, okay. I'm glad to hear that you're uh, that that you're in a good place now, and that you that you've got yourself sort of settled out there, and have your your next sort of. Um, next next few steps planned out um so i'm I'm really glad to hear that um was there anything that else that we didn't really didn't really touch on that you that you'd like to talk about um
1: uh nothing that i can think of i think that was the gist of it
0: okay great well where can where can people find you where where can they um where where can they help either support you what um or or anything like that where can I point people to to hear, to hear more of your story?
1: Um, my handle on Twitter is underscore Delisa, capital D E L I S A, capital P E R R Y. Um, so yeah, I'm only I'm mainly on Twitter. Um, and I guess Facebook, but I'm mainly there just to keep up with like family and whatnot. Right, <clears throat> but yeah. I'm I mainly get in trouble on Twitter.
0: So, I <laughs> <Great. laughs> keep everything on there. <laughs> Great. Awesome. Well, Delisa, thanks for thanks for connecting with me again. I'm glad we got to talk a little bit more. Um, yeah and uh, yeah. I'm, I'm glad we're connected on Twitter and we'll, we'll still be talking.
1: Yeah. Thank thanks for much. having me. Uh-huh.